You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome back to another Page Turner uh, with Big Dog and Little Stuff. I'm Stephanie. I am Tom. And and we're back. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Almost sort of on schedule. Uh, yeah, just one day, one day and one hour off. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> You know, like I said, you know, time gets away from me and I've had some like I'm writing a new graphic novel and I've been working on some um, art projects and I've had appointments and it's just like ugh, everything's just melting into each other. Let's, let's call it what it is, Steph. It's a comic book. Let's not get too pretentious here. Well, maybe. this one is technically graphic. a graphic novel. Is it legitimately a graphic novel? Like, well, well yeah. On, like you're going to like, so technically let's throw the terms out because they, they kind of get jumbled sometimes. Graphic novel was a term that kind of popped out in the eighties when we kind of tried to be, you know, more special than we were, but we were still writing <laughs> comics, but we called them graphic novels for a while. Um, but basically the comic book is like the monthly floppy thing that you get at your local comic book store or, or convention or whatever, uh, a trade paperback is a reprinting of a bunch of those. And then the graphic novel, I guess, technically is like all new material, but it's usually like, you know, 80 to 100 pages, like a big book book, kind of like a trade paperback, except it's all new material. So is that what you're doing? You're making a big book of all new material? Yes. Yes, yeah. I am. So, yeah, yeah. it's been a, it, it's been very time consuming because like, the, because it's my first actual like full length graphic novel there's yeah. it's the planning that goes into it is really similar um to like planning out a regular novel so you have to have like a lot of different things like i had to like plan out way more stuff ahead of time than i normally do for like a 22 page comic um so yeah it's uh, how does it differ from you know cuz you do a mini series so how does it differ from you know like like for example if if you had this new graphic novel and you just broke it into four or whatever issues of a of a, a comic, how would it differ from doing that? Uh, well, for me, um, like when I do, like right, you know, I'm doing Aeonian, and I planned on it being four parts, and you know, uh, part three is going to be on Kickstarter soon, hopefully. Waiting for cool. my team to get that together, but um, so with those, I mean, yeah, I plan out like a beginning, a middle, and an end, like you should with anything. Sometimes that stuff changes as you are writing, but you go in, you know, knowing the direction. And the, what differs for me is when I plan something with a like a longer page count, I tend to go a little bit deeper with like character, um, like profiles and um, the, a lot more questions pop up, especially with this one that I'm working on that like I wouldn't necessarily have to deal with. So it just it's just a little bit more in depth. And I feel like until I have everything nailed down, it's hard for me to start actually writing the graphic novel because, you know, it's a you know, however many pages it's going to be, I like I want to have every like plot, subplot, what characters' motivations are, like everything all planned out ahead of time before writing, which I don't necessarily do when I do uh, single issues. So, so you're insane, is what we're saying. You're oh, just insane. A little bit. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, it's I've fine. always, I've always it's been insane. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of writers that are insane. That's fine. I, I feel just like embrace it. it. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of part of being a writer. You have to be a little crazy, right? That, that is interesting because I've never tried to do that. I've always written in the serialized form. I've written one-shots before, but they're like, you know, 
30, 40 pages, um, which I don't really like doing. Uh, because, and so what ends up happening is even within my one shots, they sort of become serialized. They sort of have that finale where it's like, oh yeah, we'll do another one sometime. Um, but you know, it does exist on its own. So I've, I've never really attempted to kind of sit down and be like, Hey, I'm going to release a hundred pages at once of new material. So yeah, uh, I was curious as to how it might affect your writing, at least from, from your standpoint. Oh yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, before usually like once I get a concept for like a series I'm like okay like these are the characters I know what's going to happen and I just sit down and write I and and I develop things as I go along whereas this I feel like I have to develop a lot of things before I write because uh, you know it's longer and there when that happens it's like there's more threads that I have to make sure that I that I tie up and you know it just it's it's a little stressful but um I'm really excited for it so I mean it's going to take longer to get out obviously than my other sure. stuff but yeah. you know hopefully yeah, yeah. it'll be out next year um but yeah it's worth it <laughs> well, I was debating <laughs> actually doing that with the next penny for your soul I was thinking about taking I mean, I'm not even sure what it's going to be exactly yet, but it's going to be at least four issues, maybe seven. And I was thinking about like just saying, okay, what if we just did this and, you know, put it out as a as a big book? What would be the response? Now, with me, with the way that we do Kickstarters, we have a big fan base as far as, um, you know, they like the story, of course, they like the characters, but they also like all the the uh, the variant art and things like that. So that's a little harder to do on a graphic novel, if you're just popping out a hundred pages and then do variants on that, that's a little weird. I'm not sure anyone's ever really done that before. It could be done, but, um, it's a trickier, it's a trickier market, I think. Um, and, and our fans have come to know that, you know, as we do these things, we're going to show them a whole lot of different art from a whole lot of different people and that they can kind of choose from. So, uh, that, that's, that's a, that's the other side to, especially the crowdfunding side of it. Um, you kind of have to really think about, you know, who your audience is and what they're, what they're after, what they want. Um, it's as much what they want, uh, from a product standpoint is, as, as it is for you. I mean, you, you get to decide what they read, but as far as the packaging, you kind of have to look at it and say, Hmm, well, what, what is it that these guys want? And then, uh, you kind of have to work it from there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, you could probably from like a Kickstarter standpoint, maybe do like, you know, one alternate cover that you can only sure. get from the Kickstarter, but sure, or yeah. you know, as like um, you know, a bonus, you know, rewards after you hit your goal, you could probably add like other like art, you know, cover concepts to the comic, but you know, or to the graphic novel, so that they would be like in the back or whatever. But yeah, it's different because sure. um, the way you do things, you've got you've got tons of cover artists for like everyone, and it's really it's really cool because it allows people to to really kind of customize like what their book looks like, which is nice. For sure. Yeah. 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 Just... Uh, like for, for Scheherazade that's running right now, we've got seven basic covers, which is kind of what we generally do. We have seven covers. The the one cover is just your basic, you know, your a cover. Um, but then we do, you know, six variants and, and they're varying in, in quantities. So they might be limited to 200. They might be limited to 100 and so on. We've actually reached a point where we're making some of the covers exclusive to the campaign. So they, they will be printed to orders. So if there are 25 ordered, well, guess what? We're making 25, um, which means they're going to be some hyper, hyper limited things that, you know, people are going to be missing. And, uh, suddenly it's going to be, you know, Hey, I got my stuff from Tom and I got this book and there's, you know, 
nine of them, uh, people are going to be like, holy crap, how do I get one? Well, you can't because they're gone. So right. uh, you got to watch <laughs> these Kickstarters because that's actually a trend that's happening quite a bit is a lot of these books are now being printed just to order for your campaign and then they're gone. Um, and even if they make a hundred of them, I mean, that's still nothing in the grand scheme of, of, uh, you know, comic book collecting and the amount of fans that there are for these things and, and the amount of fans that these particular artists have. So, um, you know, do yourself a favor and, and, you know, I'm not advocating just diving in and buying everything that, that Kickstarter shows you, but, um, you know, check out what your, your, your favorite people are doing and, uh, you might be surprised at, uh, some of the stuff that's available and it won't be available anywhere else. Heck yeah. And then you've got, so you'll get like those nine people that get them and maybe someday they decide to sell it. You know, they get oh it graded <laughs> and they decide to sell yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying like, you know, in the future, because, you know, obviously yeah. you would hope that they would get it to read it as well. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Generally what happens is, you know, people will buy a variant, but then they generally will get the regular edition too so that they can read it and keep their their fancy book you know, nice and clean. Sometimes they grade them, you know, that kind of stuff, which I totally get, especially for variant art. Like I'm not really a big grading person because I'm like, well, comics are meant to be read. But in the context of like variant covers, you're really buying it for the cover. You're buying it for that piece of art. So when you put it in a grading slab, you know, you've got a nice frame. Um, you've, you're getting a, a condition value put on it so that it's, you know, whatever it is, 9.6, 9.8, 10, whatever. Um, so I totally get that within the context of the uh, the, the variant grading and uh, tons of our fans grade their books and and uh, uh, bring the books to us to sign them so they can get, you know, the autograph certified and all that kind of stuff. So it's fun. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a big market for, you know, getting your, you know, like variants and like special editions and stuff uh, slabbed. I know um, one of the cover artists I worked with, uh, he does a lot of um, – he he gets a lot of his uh special covers like slabbed and then he does um like auctions and stuff like that but also he keeps sure. you know he keeps some as well so it's not you know all just to sell them but yeah i mean with all with alternate covers that have like a limited release it's like that makes a lot of sense you know yeah. to do we, to slab something like that yeah we actually did our first ever big dog grading batch about i don't know Two or three months. Uh, it was probably actually farther back than that. It's probably about like September. Uh, we graded ten books. We were oh, I was at that show that I was with you at uh, the the Michigan Con, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, CBCS was there. And I know uh, Cody Lockwood, um, who's been working with them for a long time. And and I was like, hey, you know, Cody, tell me about what what we're doing here and how do we do this. And I had books in the car because I always have books in the car. And <laughs> I, so I went back to the van and I pulled out ten books and I'm like, okay, let's let's just throw these in. Let's grade them. Let's see what they come back and and, you know, we'll see what the, the fan response is as far as selling them, because I've never sold graded books before and I wasn't sure if, if I could even do it. So we got the books back. Uh, not nine of the ten came back at nine eight, which was awesome because that's kind of the goal. You know, you want that that nine eight. One of them came back as a nine nine and it just happened to be a critter book. And so I was like, well, that's not ever going to be sold because getting the nine, nine and the tens is nearly impossible. So of the, of the other nine that we got though, I sold all of them, um, for, you know, honestly, we're doing this to make money for a fair markup based on what it costs to, you know, grade the books. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, they were gone within a couple of months. So, um, there's definitely a market there, especially if you're grading, um, uh, well, I mean, I can't even say if you're grading specific 
artists because the artists I had were across the board. It was Critter. It was Penny for Your Soul. It was Mike Chrome. It was Bill McKay. It was CB Zane. I mean, it was just everywhere. And, uh, you know, but because I think I probably had some of the early uh, examples of graded books for these particular titles. I think that helped me a lot, you know, and obviously I had them before anybody else because they're my books. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, I think that helped a lot. Obviously the high grades Our our books will tend to grade high just because we have that cardstock cover. Um, so they're a little more, you know, I, I, they're not indestructible of course, but they're, they're a little tougher, um, to, to kind of break down. So our grade, our books will tend to grade higher, but, on the other side of that, there are far, far fewer of our books on the market just in general because we might only make 200 of them. So, um, so yeah, so our, our stuff is uh, – it's interesting. It's, it's a new world that I'm kind of diving into. We have another batch out right now that I'm, I'm hoping to have back in about two or three weeks, and, and we'll see how those grade it out, and, and you know, we'll just keep going. Heck, yeah, man. People love that stuff. I mean, collectors especially. So it's, you know, you're you're catering to uh, people that, I mean, this is the kind of stuff they're looking for. And why not, man? <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the things we've talked about. And it, it bears repeating. There, There is more than one market in comics. You know, there are readers. There are collectors. There are collectors who only collect certain things, certain artists, certain titles. I mean, it, there's there's no end to the niche elements of of comic book buying. Let's call it buying, not just collecting. And um, you know, you you're only doing yourself a favor if you can dip your toes into you know two or three of those niche elements and and you know bring more customers and awareness to what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, as, as a writer, we all want people to read our books, you know, hopefully they're buying it and they're reading the story. Um, but ultimately, as long as they're engaged with your product, that's the goal. Right. Absolutely. Um, and speaking, I don't know if you heard about this, but I was, I saw this on Facebook the other day um, and they were talking about um, cracking down on uh, licensed um, prints. So like people sure. who do like prints of, you know, Disney stuff or anything that has, you know, that's a light, like a licensed uh, property. Yeah. Um, and somebody had posted, uh, you know, like, what do you think, you know, do you think they should crack down on people that, you know, that make prints of all of these, you know, IPs and, you know, like, what were your thoughts on it? And it, it, sure. almost overwhelmingly, uh, people were in support for uh, them doing that. And um, mostly because... Uh, it sounded like, well, A, nobody wants to be the person that has to sit next to the guy with the giant print wall. Let's sure, just yeah. be fair. I mean, I one at one convention, like I've got me, my little table and like my, you know, seven, eight foot banner behind me. And then I've got this guy who has two tables, like he's got two or three tables and his wall of prints goes up like 20 feet. Sure. Like, you know, I'm invisible next to this guy. Yep. But, yep. you know, if he wants to do that, that's fine. It was just really frustrating for me. But then it also, if they were to limit like those types of vendors at conventions, I think that it would bring more attention back to um, original uh, indie comics, like original characters, not Marvel, not DC, not, you know, from anywhere else. Like, I think that it would give yeah. a boost, um, you know, if Artist Alley had more, <laughs> more of us in it, 
You know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> I, I have so much to say about this. I, we need like three shows to, <laughs> to put all of this together because I have so much to say. Let's just start by talking about the basics. Okay. For everybody who's listening. <laughs> what we're talking about are dudes who basically, or dudettes, uh, who go, who are artists in their own right. They can draw. It's not about the style. It's not about the art. It's about what they're doing. They will draw Batman and they will print out, you know, a thousand Batman prints. They will print out a thousand Spider-Man prints. They will print out a thousand Wonder Woman prints and so on and so on and so on. Let's be very clear. That's illegal. It's illegal to sell it, I should say. It's not illegal to make it. You can make it all you want. It's illegal to sell it. You're basically taking someone else's existing IP and selling it without a license to do so. Mm-hmm. This is why you hear the term licensing. So Star Wars will be a a movie, and back in the day, Kenner got the license to make them. No one was just making Star Wars toys. They had to get a license to make them. Right. Uh, it's a, called bootleg otherwise. Let's just call it what it is. It's bootleg stuff. It's like uh, when in the old – in the 80s and the 90s, bootleg videotapes that shows and so on. Um, now – the flip side to this is always the argument that, well, if Marvel and DC or whoever are not caring that it's happening, then why should we? It's a fair argument. Um, here's one of the tricks to that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Star Trek's battle with Axanar. Um, no, actually. Okay. So Axanar is a fan film based on a Star Trek concept. And they have been Star Trek fan films for for decades. Um, but Axanar actually went out and raised money to make their movie, um, calling it Star Trek, calling it Star Trek, you know, within a continuity of Star Trek, um, trying to make it look as good as possible as far as like lining it up next to the real movies and so on. So Paramount was like, eh, no, we're shutting this down. This is This is over because you're now talking about raising money. You're talking about potential profits you're talking about what is this really is it really a fan film right it's gone too it's gone too far um and so it's been a big legal battle and a hassle so um and so that was one of the the early examples of hey if you're not if we have to protect our ip and klingon is one of those things that they lost because Klingon is now taught in schools, you know, uh, the, the language of Klingon. Right. <laughs> um, there, there's so much stuff that just basically from your IP is just used and used and used. And if you don't defend it as, hey, you can't use that because it's ours, then the courts will basically decide, well, you didn't defend your IP for decades. So tough beans. Mm-hmm. So at some point, at some point, Marvel and DC and whoever else have to step in and say, you know what? This can't happen anymore. Because otherwise, we're just letting everybody use our IP and profit off of it, regardless of whether they make money on it. It's, it's going to become a situation where things will land in public domain because they're not protecting their IP. Right. Um, again, we, we need three shows for this because this is deep. Um, but <laughs> So there's kind of your basics right there. Now, where I come from on this is, is I totally get the, the, the want to – draw Batman and sell a print because it attracts people to your booth. I get it hundred percent. I, I understand. Right. Um, what I would say is the alternative is draw Batman, put it on your banner, put it behind you and let people go, Oh, you draw Batman and you go, yeah, I can draw Batman for you 
meaning I can draw on a sketch cover or, you know, do a commission or whatever, because I'm really not concerned with one-offs and, and no one really is. It's, yeah. It's when, you, when you take and, that one piece of art and make it a thousand times and you sell them for $10 a piece. Right. Do the that's math. what I was going <laughs> to say. Like, you know, they're saying that you can still like do commissions, you know, yes. of these IPs because it's a one-off. And yeah, exactly. Yes. So I'm totally cool with the commission well, thing. I totally agree. With and you. comic book companies make these blank covers for that purpose. So they're okay with that. They're, they're, they don't care that you're drawing on these covers and making money. The, the ultimate back underlying thing is if you have 100 people in Artist Alley, they're all selling 1,000 prints a show at $10 a piece. Do the math. It's a lot of money. And then you do that every single weekend across the country at different shows. So it's a lot of money. Um, you would think that Marvel and DC and whatever or Disney and Warner Brothers, if you go higher up the chain, would look at that and go, hey, what is going on? But, you know, again, it comes back to the argument. If they don't care, why do we care? And it's just uh, it's uh, uh, um, it's promotion for them. It's I have Batman at my booth. I'm promoting Batman for DC, blah, 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 blah. All of that is fair argument. But uh, the bottom line is it is illegal. And then you start to have. Uh, the folks that do, like you talked about, the gigantic walls. Now, I don't even really have a problem with the wall. But if you're going to be building something like that in your booth, you need to have a booth, not an artist alley. Right. I feel like I feel like artist alley is for artists and and it's a a or writers, whatever, colorists and so on. It's not about uh, how many you know, prints you have in that section. You, you, that's about creating over there. And I think that there should be just make it simple. You have an eight foot limit. Period. Do whatever you can within eight feet uh, by, you know, whatever it is, six feet for your table, whatever. Um, and that's your display space and make it clean and make it nice and keep the playing field uh, uh, balanced in Artist Alley. If you want to build, be my guest, go buy a booth and build to your heart's content because that's what the booths are for. Booths are just empty space. You have to bring your tables sometimes. You got to bring your chairs, build whatever the hell you want in a in a booth space. But Artist Alley really should have kind of a, a little more restriction on its on on what's happening in there. Um because I've I've seen that stuff and I've seen how people build basically booths within this table space. And I'm like, this is terrible. And I've seen some artists like you're talking about yourself. I've seen artists and stuff just basically disappear between a couple of gigantic, what should be booths. Um, but they're, they're, you know, they're in artist alley. So again, there, there's, there's part one of our, why the fan art needs to go away. Part. Uh, <laughs> and and we'll, maybe we'll come back to that because again, that's really just scratching the surface. But in my opinion, yeah, I think, I think it's almost like you said, if, if the fan art part died down a little, it would incentivize creativity and it would, it yes. would make these guys who are coming in who have talent. I mean, that's the crazy part. These guys have talent. Make something of your own. I'm not even saying make a comic book, make your own prints, make your own characters. And in fact, I'll give you one example of a guy who does happen to do uh, the big the big wall of, of prints. Um, I'm not going to name him because we, we kind of just dogged on the wall of prints idea. But even within his wall of prints, he is understanding that he can make his own stuff. So he has his own prints in there. He has his own characters. He has his own designs blended in with, you know, his Batman and his Superman and whatever. So even he is seeing the, of uh, the advantage to making your own stuff within prints as well. So, yeah, there's, you know, a, you're, you're, there's a gentleman I follow on Instagram, uh, that he, he's a great artist and he only, he makes his own prints. He, there are some, like he does some stuff that uses, um, you know, like certain IPs, but it's, that's like the, 
the smallest part of what he sells. It's mostly just all his stuff. And that's like if you're going to have one or two or three or, or, or whatever, that's fine. But if it's all, you know, Marvel and DC, like what are you even doing in Artist Alley? Yeah. And, you know, so again, some some guy we should we should again, we really should come back to this and, and do some more. But again, people look at that as like, well, I'm promoting myself. I'm trying to get seen. It's an interview process because, you know, they can see what I do with Batman or Wonder Woman and they can see that it'll translate to what they do and so on and so on. And, and I get that. All of those are valid, valid points. But underlying all of it is it is illegal. It is IP theft. And uh, I think that it's only a matter of time. Now, we've been saying it's it's we, we've been saying this for decades. It's almost a matter of time before you know something happens. But I have been hearing some rumblings of uh, at some certain shows where DC specifically has come through and handed out, not handed out, but basically given verbal cease and desist. Uh, they have looked at it and said, no, take it down. This is your cease and desist notice. If we have to come back, it will be in writing and so on and so on and so on. So it may be already happening more so than we realize, but there's so many shows oh, that, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard for that to get back. But I have heard that from pros, from legitimate high-end pros. I've heard that, that, that people have been coming through and telling those that are not basically working for Marvel or DC, you can't do that. So, you know, maybe it's there. Who knows? We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I totally agree with like, you know, if you want to do like a huge print wall, get a vendor space. You yes. artist alley yes. should you're you're 100 percent right. I think like they're that's fine. You know, those people, they spend a lot more for their booths. But typically those are people that are selling, um, you know, either they're selling a lot of one certain product or they have several products and they are they can afford to have these more expensive booths because they're going to sell way more product than somebody say that has like two or three comic books, you know, on their table in artist alley. So for people that don't know, uh, you know, artist alley tables tend to be cheaper. I mean, well, they yeah, are right. at any con that I've ever been to. Um, you do only get, you know, a small space. Um, but I think, you know, it also has to do with, the potential and I tell me if, if you think I'm wrong, because I'm thinking like with the, the potential sales that we get, like you usually have like either like an end cap. So you usually have like a pretty big, um, you're able to put a lot of your stuff out. Um, sure. Generally, we land in a corner. So we have a couple of tables, you know, a couple of eight foot tables. Yeah. Right. And for most of us, like we get either like one, six or eight foot table. So even if you have, you know, X amount of books, so you've got 20, you know, 20 books out, it's hard to kind of have the, um, the amount of product to be able to sell enough to, um, to make what you could make at a vendor spot with more room, more product. Um, it, it, it's a little limiting. So do you think that's why Artist Alley is cheaper or do you think it's because it's just a space issue? Well, yeah, Artist Alley is cheaper because you're getting less space. You're getting a six-foot table usually and about, you know, whatever, six feet behind you. It's not really designed to be a booth. It's just there for you to kind of show some of your wares. And that's where the print walls came in because people were used to have print books on their tables and people would flip through the print books. Um, but because you only have that six feet of space, it, it doesn't allow people to see your stuff uh, very easily because there has to be basically a line for people to to look through the book. So to put up the wall lets people stand 10, 20, 30 feet away and just look at all of your stuff and right. go, oh, hey, there's a Wonder Woman up there and there's a Superman over there and whatever. 
And, uh, and then they can come up and say, Hey, give me the wonder woman and Superman. So that's all it is. But again, I, I understand the reason for it all, but if you're uh, to me, artist alley should be a more level playing field. There shouldn't be a lot of buildup in artist alley. It should just be, you know, put your books on the table. You can have things standing up on your, on your, uh, uh, you know, your little stands and stuff. Of course, people put like wire racks up. Oh, that's fine. But when you start to like build walls to like section off your area, like I've seen people build things on their tables that actually have walls on them, um, sitting on the table, which means as people are walking down artist alley, they're seeing this giant wall thing and they're not seeing what's on the other side of it. They're walking right past it. So you're actually blocking the view of other people. Right. Whereas with, with the booth space, the booth space is designed for people to walk aisles and, and see whatever is there because that's just what's kind of next in line. And it's, it's a more open visual space from a booth standpoint. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Artist Alley just doesn't have the rules in place to, to kind of, you know, mediate some of that. And I, and I don't know why, but um, that's what it is. But yeah, but Artist Alley space is cheaper because you, you get less space. Um, you, the booth space is more because you get more space and you can do more with it because you can build and do cool things. Um, and there's, there's really no restriction there as well, I guess you could say, but, um, yeah, that, that's really what it comes down to. Okay. And that was my question because I, I, I thought it could be either, you know, and I didn't, wasn't really sure. <laughs> like if one was a, yeah. a bigger factor than the other or if one didn't count, but yeah. no. Well, that, and the, other, the other theory is that the booth space is your primary sort of walking area. You know, not, it's, it, it, it's all backwards because, um, oh my God, we're going into like so many things that I have so much to say about oh my god i'm like in my chair antsy because i have so much to say um show promoters used to put me in the front of the show and i was like god damn it what are you doing i don't want to be here in the front of the show everybody walks in the front door and they walk to the back um 90 of the people that walk into a comic con on the on in the early in the day are running to artist alley because they want to get in line for commissions and so on so basically you're just sitting there with your thumb up your nose you know, waiting for these guys to kind of Trump try and come back through the show. So ideally, I've always told people with with the uh, uh, the promoters, I'm like, no, you put me in the middle of this show, or you put me on the the skirt of uh, Artist Alley because that's where we belong. You know, we need to be in traffic, or we need to be very visible to the Artist Alley crowd because again, we sell a lot of variant covers, and that's art. And a lot of the artists that are in Artist Alley work for us, so you know, we need to have that sort of connection back and forth, and um, Show promoters really, as good as many of them are, um, really don't understand some of that flow. Uh, I've seen some really poorly designed floor plans that just alienate elements of of the show, mm-hmm. and uh, people that people that are even really well known uh, just disappear in the show because of the the way that the flow is set up. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the sh- all the shows, oh, this is a whole nother show for us is is conventions. Um, <laughs> he got a phone to- call there. Oh, is that me? Oh, it is. I don't know who that is, but we're gonna... I'm like, it ain't me, sir. Hmm. I got my phone on it's... vibrate. All my stuff is like, I am too. I don't know why it was making a a call noise. That's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, I lost my track. Uh, all the shows need to be redesigned. Everything needs to be redesigned. Everything needs to be rethought because comic cons really aren't comic cons anymore. And um, you know. There are reasons for that. Again, this is another show we could go into. Um, 
but uh, uh, you know, I, it's one of the reasons why I only do about five a year now is they're just not comic cons anymore. And unless you're going to comp me a booth um, or a hotel or something, comp me something, some part of it, um, I'm probably not coming to your show unless I look at it and say, yeah, I know that that's a comic con. Uh, I know that's a great show. For example, Emerald City, um, for example, uh, uh, New York. Um, I've been going to Motor City for the past few years. It looks like it's a great Comic-Con. So there's places to go that are still Comic-Cons. They're still working as Comic-Cons. Um, but so many are just switching over to, you know, let's have the Walking Dead dudes come through. And and that doesn't help anybody selling comics, really. And and again, that comes back to the print wall because the print walls will then sell Walking Dead prints and and, you know, and on and on and on and on and on. So, right. uh, you know, <laughs> oh, no, so yeah. it's all, yeah, it's all kind of cyclical. It all kind of blends together. And, um, you know, again, uh, each one of these things that we've kind of talked about today is kind of its own good hour or so show. So I hope people are, uh, getting something out of our kind of skimming the information here. Well, I mean, it's, it's any information is good information as long as it's honest and true, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And, and for those that are, that are listening, we do have a Facebook page um, for another page, Turner. If you guys ever want to come on, join the page, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, tell us what you'd like to hear more about, whether it's something we haven't talked about or whether it's, you know, something we have that you want to get more detailed into. We'd love to be able to converse with you guys and figure out what it is that you want to hear us talk about. So, uh, please join the Facebook page and, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cr try and create a little uh, community there. Absolutely. Yeah. We definitely want to be passing along knowledge that people actually want. <laughs> That's always helpful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you opinions all day long, but what do you really want to know? And and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. Yes. Um, um. So actually, I've got a question for you. Have you ever done Heroes Con? A few times, yeah. Okay. What do you think about it? I'm doing it this year for the first time, and I've heard from a lot of people that it is still like truly a comic book convention. It is a comic con, but here's the caveat: it is basically a fanboy show. It is an art show. It is where tons of industry people go, like big name industry people go. Um, and so the fans go there. But the fans that are there aren't really worried about much else besides getting their carnage, venomized, whatever, signed by whoever did it. So when we did it for a few years, we did it three years in a row. And we watched it very, very obviously becoming this this sort of heavy duty art show. And if you did art, if you made art, if you were part of the uh, higher up industry, Marvel, DC, et cetera, um, you were going to do fine. And if you were part of the independent, no one's ever heard of you stuff, um, you're going to struggle. Now, again, this was seven years ago, maybe like we did it early on in our, in my career, like, like the, within the first two or three years. Okay. So there may be some changes, um, since then, but, uh, I, I, it's not a show I would go back to for myself. Gotcha. No, that make you know, every show, like there was, uh, there are shows that I won't do again. Um, for, for reasons and similar reasons as that. Um, but you know, this year I'm trying to like, you know, go to some of these bigger shows that I've never done. So I'm putting out a little sure. bit more money, but I'm doing less conventions because sure. Yeah. It's doing the convention circuit can get, it's kind of exhausting. Um, totally. Especially when you're doing, you know, two a month and you're, 
you know, you're working or you're doing your, you know, you're writing, you're working, you have your home life and, and then you have to, you're spending two weekends a month working. People, you know, we've talked about this before. It's work. It's not just, we don't yeah. just go there yeah, yeah. and hang out and read comic books. Like we're talking to people and networking <laughs> and like on our feet all day. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's work. So yeah, this year I'm, you know, going for the, I'm going to try out a couple of conventions I haven't done, some bigger ones. I'm also hitting up Baltimore, which I'm very excited about. Um, Baltimore Baltimore kind of is leaning into that Heroes Con mold. Um, But the last time we did it, you know, it does have a good artist alley. It does have a it does have a really good and and Heroes Con and Baltimore both have really good attendance bases. They're they're very busy. So I would just say try and do anything you can to make yourself stand out. that that's it. I, I I really don't know what else to tell you. Um, <laughs> because again, both shows kind of lean into the fanboy realm where, you know, Hey, I want to get Scott Snyder's autograph and that's what I'm there for. And once I've gotten it, I'm kind of done. They don't really look for, you know, new things. Um, but I'll be really curious to hear your, your take on heroes con because it's been so long since I've been there and even Baltimore, I haven't been there for a few years. So, um, I'll be really curious to hear how you do and, and what your take on both of those shows is. I haven't done either of those shows in, in quite a while. Um, a lot of that is just because I've stopped doing a lot of shows. So, uh, right. I'm very specific and picky about where I'm going, you know, barring, uh, an invitation. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that'll definitely be something I, I document. And I mean, do you think partial nudity will help? Like the less clothes I wear, the better. <laughs> oh, you? I thought you meant your characters. So, oh, no, uh, I mean me. I you think said either it... way it works. I think either way it works. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm going to have to come up with something. Well, you said, you know, make yourself stand out. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I can make myself stand out. That's really – that was the well, first thought that came to mind. There are definitely those that, you know, dress up cool and crazy to attract attention. Um, the only thing I would say is – and this is this goes out to everybody. Please, God, avoid shtick. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Shtick is the absolute lack of personality. It's It's a completely false – presentation of yourself and it drives me and everyone around you crazy. Um, don't be the carnival barker. Don't be the guy going, Hey, Hey, come on over here. Don't do that. Uh, you know, stay in your lane, be, be up, be standing, be, be attentive, be pleasant. Um, but don't be screaming across the aisles to try and drag somebody. That happened at us at Albuquerque, uh, on Sunday. Someone was literally like looking at our stuff. Somebody walked across the aisle from their booth and said, Hey, look, you guys are all in costume. You should come over here and do this thing. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened here? Is that, is that the con you just did? Yes. Okay. Well, like let's, since you, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's. I kind of want to hear about how your weekend went in Albuquerque. That obviously is a really crappy. <laughs> that was a that was antidote. a bad yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but the show was good. You know, we had never done it before. I'd heard things about it for years and years and years, and the timing and and where it was, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, was never working for us. But this year, I was I was here in in uh, Phoenix anyway. And uh, Jim Burleson uh, was kind enough, again, to, to compass space. He gave us a nice, a really nice space. 
And um, uh, we brought out Kerry Castor. We had uh, Nia Rafino with us. And uh, we had all of our stuff on display for the first time in a long time because we had like four tables worth of room. And uh, and it was good. You know, the, the preview night was kind of weak, um, as most preview nights are. You yeah. Know, you go like four to eight. There's not really much to expect from that. But we did OK. Uh, Saturday was decent. Sunday was decent. Overall, it was a it was a good show. Um I was definitely hearing some some things from from people, especially in Artist Alley, where uh, uh, the, the the purse strings were not exactly open. You had to really kind of work for every dollar that you got, which was kind of the case for us, too. But what we did see was those that did buy something um, were very excited about it. Like there was never a, well, I guess I'll try it. You know, it was always like, oh, that looks really cool and I want to take it and thank you and thank you for signing it. And, you know, they were very, very enthusiastic about what they bought, which was great because that's what you want. Ultimately, you have to kind of treat these cons as marketing uh, expenses because the odds of you making any sort of heavy profit is is usually very low. But if you can pay for your booth and pay for your trip and pay for your food and kind of break even – and out of that breaking even, um, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Out of make that breaking new fans. even, break, make new fans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Make new fans. Make sure they all go home with business cards and, and flyers and whatever else. Um, get them on your mailing list. That's the goal of the show, you know. And um, uh, and I think, and, and we'll see how it goes in the in the coming months. I think we made a whole bunch of new fans, which is great. Um, and there were actually some other folks that, uh, uh, you know, we knew already. So they had come now granted the realism is that they came to see Nii. I, I know my place in the hierarchy of why they're at my booth. Um, you know, Nii is first, um, the books are second. I'm probably in the third realm of, of, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. I, I know my place and I'll play it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we did have people that were there to come see Nii, but as they were there for her, they also got exposed to all the other stuff that we did. So it was good. And, and as long as you're treating these cons as a marketing type of expense, you're fine. Um, now, obviously, you don't want to be going in and spending $1,000 and coming out with 100 That That's going to break you in a hurry. So you do need to be able to sell stuff um, while you're there. But, uh, uh, you know. Albuquerque was good. Uh, I was happy with it. We did do some um, some online sales. We went online, turned Facebook Live on. We did about a, a 45-minute sort of live show at the booth um, that that supplemented what we did at the show really nicely. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it was it was good. It was – I don't really know if that I had an expectation because I'd never done it before, but um, – I was pleased with the result. So uh, again, thanks to Jim Burleson for uh, for the invitation. And if it works out, then you know maybe we can do it again next year as far as the dates go. Awesome, awesome, awesome! I like to hear I like to hear stuff about shows I've never been to. So I'm, yeah, I'm nosy. <laughs> I need to know what's going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we don't have a ton of time left, but. Uh, sure. I wanted to touch on something that I saw in your Facebook today that uh, All right. All right. Let's let's you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, let's finish strong. Yeah. Okay. Um, Go ahead, bring it. Bring it. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Being a huge fan of Hellraiser and a huge yes. fan of Event Horizon. Yes. Um I saw that you know you had posted you saw Event Horizon and you basically found it to be um like Hellraiser in space. Yes, and um, in my opinion, <laughs> I it, and in you know it's fine because you know people like 
we're different people. We're allowed to have our own opinions. It, sure. It's not, I'm, I ain't mad. I'm just like, okay, well, in my opinion, <laughs> um, you know, yes, they deal with portals to hell. I mean, so that is a similarity. Um, and I saw some of the stuff that you posted about, you know, the similarities that you saw, um, in, in the movies. But to me, and maybe it's just my perception or how I'm, how I'm filtering the movies through, you know, my brain. I don't mm-hmm. see, I mean, other than the fact that, yeah, they deal with hell, I feel like they're very, um, they're very different. Um, in, in, well, they, they are different. And it's not that it's Hellraiser in space, it's more that it's Hellraiser reimagined. That, okay. that's 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 for me it's it's not it's obviously not the same story it's obviously not the same conditions and so on and so on but as i'm watching the movie especially when you get to the end and you and I, now this movie is old enough that i think we can just say spoiler alert and go from there but it's old oh, enough yeah. that you know at this point guys if you haven't you're, you're seen it yeah um <laughs> you know when you get to the end and you have sam neill with his he's not pinhead of course but he is scarface i mean it, it's just he's He's this guy uh, and he's rattling off lines like I have such things to show you. That's straight out of Hellraiser. You start to see these flashing scenes of all the of all the crew being tortured with things like barbed wire and so on. That's straight out of Hellraiser. Uh, you've got this contraption that, uh, you know, moves in crazy ways that opens the doorway to, to hell or, or whatever they want to call this dimension. That's straight out of Hellraiser. So, again, it's not that it is Hellraiser specifically, but it is clearly 100 percent inspired by it. And um, and it kind of pulls things from Hellraiser into it, whether on purpose or whether it's tongue in cheek or whether completely oblivious to it I, who knows um because i i haven't really read I'll, literally all i've done is watch the movie I, I have not looked into anything as far as like director's cuts or missing scenes or anything so all i know is the movie and, and it just was like this is this is hellraiser in space and, and it, again and i wasn't dogging on it like it was a bad movie because it was it was it was fun it was fine you have a decent cast um i'm in love with sam it's, neil it's certainly like, oh love. sam neil is great Anything Ugh. with Sam Neill pretty much is good. I'll watch so, anything you know, with him in it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a good movie. I'm not coming at it like Last Jedi where it's like, this is garbage. Right. No, it was, <laughs> it's fine. But I, w- I think I was expecting a little more. Like, it wasn't really gory, super gory. It wasn't really scary. It wasn't. It just was kind of this mystery thing that, you know, at the end had some, you know, had had kind of tied all the Hellraiser stuff together into one little coherent ball, but um, it's fine. It, it's, it's a, if you haven't seen it, sorry. Uh, if you, <laughs> you should. But, but go ahead and watch it anyway. You know, it, it's fine. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, if you like horror, if you like sci-fi, I think you'll enjoy it. I, I just was left a little, uh, a little like, well, all right, fine. So you were underwhelmed. <laughs> underwhelmed. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I can understand that. See, now I saw this movie when I was much younger. Uh, you know, when, uh, not right when it came out, cause I was a little too young to be watching stuff like that, but I, I saw it when I was younger. And I think that, um, you know, the time in our lives and the places like we, the older we get, the more content we're, uh, soaking in, the more, you know, we can see other things and other things. I think that has maybe something to do with the way that I view this movie, um, totally. You know, I was, and I, I can't remember if I saw Hellraiser first or Event Horizon first. Uh, I've always loved horror movies, but I didn't really start watching them until I was like sixteen because I was, I was a little scaredy cat before then. <laughs> well, as, as with almost anything, anytime you see a movie or a TV show or whatever, your perception of it will be different based on when you see it. 
Oh, I yeah. See it with, I see it with Godzilla stuff all the time. People who grew up with the original Showa stuff love it. People who look at it who are now, you know, 20 years old now and are watching old man in rubber suit movies are like, what in the hell is this? Yeah. Because they want their <laughs> their CG style stuff. But those that grew up with Showa are like, nah, the CG stuff is cool, but, you know, give me the original and, and I'm fine. So it, it, so that's that's the thing. For me, if I had seen Rent Horizon in, what was it, 97 when it came out, I might have had a different reaction to it than seeing it. Whatever, wherever we are. Oh my God, Jesus! Thirty years later, whatever, (laughs) where we are now. Uh, Yeah, ridiculous. So, and and so so everything is conceptual and and contextual with when you see it. So, you know, for me, I'm seeing it for the first time, literally for the first time last night. Right. Um, It just happened to be on Netflix, and I was like, Oh yeah, I've heard of that, and so I played it. That was it. (laughs) Well, and I'm and I'm super glad that you watched it. And I didn't take like obviously I take no offense to people's opinions and all. Everybody's allowed to like if something doesn't move you or in the same way that it moves somebody else. It's it just is what it is. Like you said, perception. I mean, our personal perception is our reality. And when we watch something and how old we are and what's going on in the world, like there's a lot of things that kind of go into how certain films and music um, affect us. So. You know, for me, this movie uh, was, uh, I think I saw it after I had been reading Clive Barker. Um, you know, I started reading uh, Clive Barker and Stephen King. When, well, Clive Barker was my first, and I picked up um, Everville from the library shelf when I was 12 years old. And it was something I should not have been reading at 12. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> um, if it, I mean, okay, anybody yeah. who knows Clive Barker and knows Everville, like, no, I shouldn't have been reading it. But what it did was take somebody such as myself, who was an avid reader since since as long as I can remember, and open up my perception of what what writing could be and what art could be and sure. what other things could be in the world. And so then I'm taking this perception of newly awakened eyes as I'm going through life and watching scary movies. And I'm soaking it all up like a sponge because I, like I said, with movies, I was a little bit more of a late bloomer because I was scared um, of horror movies when I was younger. Like I had... Yeah, I thought Freddie was going to come get me. <laughs> like un- unnatural reactions, but um yeah. Yeah, so for me Event Horizon kind of came to me and I soaked it up and it was just I I got a lot out of it. Um and it it helped cool. to keep that open that open perception of um you know what demons are to people, what hell means to people. It just it so for me like it was very different. Obviously, <laughs> I had a, I had a very different uh, reaction, and 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 that's that's fine. I love it, um, and I can definitely see what you're saying. Where you know, yes, there's like the the object, like the core of the ship is. Um, what allows it to move so fast through space, but apparently it just jumps dimensions and it jumped the ship to hell and, you know, all this gross stuff happened, but I still found it to be very, um, quite lovely. And, um, yeah, so that's my opinion on that one. (laughs) Look at us talking opinions about stuff and not fighting. See people, it is possible. We save the fighting for in person. We do a little fight club thing. Yeah. But lots we're not supposed no- to talk about that. Yeah, lots of noogies, um, a couple pile drivers, you know. <laughs> I 
Uh, but yeah, it looks like that's that's it for this week. Um, Perfect. Yeah, if you guys, um, like Tom said earlier, check out our Facebook page, Another Page Turner, and uh, you know, join us there. And if you have any questions, drop them on the wall, and we'll get to them. Um, we record every two weeks, usually at one o'clock on Tuesdays, but I'm a space case, and, and Tom's been very patient with me. <laughs> so I don't want to, you know, stroke his ego too much because, you know, you might float it, away. It gets bad. It, it gets bad if you do too much of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to have to, ta- like, you know, I'm, I'll boost ship, but then I'm going to have to take you down a peg or two. That's fair. That's just fair. to, like, keep, keep it, it even. <laughs> Uh, um, but yeah thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks and um you know be safe happy and you know keep checking out indie stuff it's awesome